Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Friday evening, reflecting into uh, Scripture for Sunday, in particular the Gospel. And once again, this Friday, we have the opportunity to get back into John 6. Now, this Sunday is Corpus Christi Sunday, where we really focus in on the importance of the body of Christ, the corpus of Christ uh, in the Eucharist, and of course, also the body of Christ, the people of God. So with that, I, I do not have a guest today. I am flying solo. If you have any questions, comments, uh, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com or uh, go to joholcraft.org and you can contact me there. So with that, what I would like to do is uh, just get right into this gospel. Our gospel today does come from John chapter 6, verses 51 to 59. So John chapter 6, verses 51 to 59. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Okay, so... Once again, the emphasis on the word eat. If you were to go back into verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were interpreting this properly, that he was actually saying his flesh. He was actually saying his blood. Certainly for the Jews, this was barbaric imagery. But as John reminds us, it is the Spirit of God which makes this possible. Now, the word eat is very important in this narrative because up to verse uh, 54, all the way through verse 53, the word eat was estheo and phago. And in John chapter 6, verse 54, as he begins to emphasize, right, there's a new Greek word used, and that is trogo, a verb meaning chew or gnaw. It is used five times in the fourth gospel and only once elsewhere in the New Testament. You know, Greek 
literature used it to describe the feeding of animals such as mules, pigs, and cattle, and in some cases for human eating. Okay, so you can begin to appreciate and imagine what our Lord is doing and how he's using the historical context, really the contemporary understanding of this word to evangelize the uh, listener's ears, right? So in John, the verb is used four times in the second half of the Bread of Life discourse. This marks a noticeable shift in our Lord's teaching. The change in vocabulary marks a change of focus and emphasis from the necessity of faith to the consumption of the Eucharist. And as the commentaries make note on this passage, you know, the the graphic and almost crude connotation of the verb trogo adds greater force to the repetition of his words. My brothers and sisters, he demands we we express our faith by eating in a real and physical way, his life-giving flesh in the sacrament. And it's interesting, you drop down to uh, verse 58, he who eats this bread will live forever. The Greek connotation there, the verb implies this constant consumption, this perpetual consumption. So very important when we begin our, as we begin our reflection on the Eucharist. Now, collectively, the most important doctrines of our Catholic and Christian faith remain the same through the ages. And they need to be approached again and again in order for us to constantly rediscover the richness and experience their enduring significance for our daily lives. This, my friends, is why we have the three-year cycle of the liturgical year. And moreover, an annual repetition of feast days and certain scripture reads, right? Each and every year, this upcoming Sunday, we reflect upon uh, Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, on the heels of the Trinity. The foundational doctrines are the deepest sense of what scriptures proclaim and that this deepest sense is discovered precisely when the scriptures are proclaimed in the liturgical assembly and when the scriptures become sacramentalized in the Eucharistic rite. From this source, my friends, we draw our energy our hope, our vision, to foster, as John Paul II would like to say it, a true civilization of love. A true civilization of love. At every Mass, at every Mass, we are to be thinking about the words of our Lord from John 6. Now, we have uh, the fortune of this Sunday hearing those words when we go to Mass. We need to be thinking about those words each and every Mass. So, at every Mass we go to, we have the liturgy of the Word, which precedes the Eucharistic liturgy, the liturgy of the Eucharist. There are, we can say, two communions, one with the Word and one with the bread. One cannot be understood without the other. This has been the constant through the ages, right? Acts 2.42. We can go back to the beginning uh, of the life of the church, to appreciate that the Eucharist does not only provide inner strength, but also a certain way of life in light of the Word of God. It is a way of living that is passed from Jesus 
to the Christian. Uh, the, the celebration of the Christian mystery, the liturgical mystery, has no meaning if we do not do it with that deeper sense of love. It is in and through the Eucharist that we could say we are challenged in its deepest mystery. We talk about faith as it relates to Eucharist because as we give our consent of faith, we find it challenged most profoundly in the Eucharist. And so we are to call upon uh, that gift from God, that gift of faith, and to constantly renew so that we might be re-energized uh, in our daily walk, in our daily journey of faith. We receive the sacraments of sacraments that we might become a sacrament for all, right? It is also to add that when we talk about the Eucharist, when we talk about the body of Christ, the Eucharistic Christ is truly present as bread for the poor and, and not the privileged, right? I mean, think about it. The God of history descends into our history that he might become bread for the world. A profound expression of poverty for the church to contemplate. John Paul II, in one of his documents, says this, and I love this quote. It was a very important quote for me in my research and my dissertation. He says this, Every time the Son of God comes again to us in the poverty of the sacramental signs of bread and wine, the seeds of that new history wherein the mighty put down from their thrones and those of the low degrees are exalted, take root in the world. Remember what I have said about poverty as it relates to truth. Remember what Pontius Pilate asked our Lord, what is truth? And what was his response? The cross, the cross, because truth will always be rejected. Truth will always descend into the earth because truth is about humility. Truth is about poverty. So when we receive the Eucharist, we are to partake of the one who becomes food and drink for others. We too must become food for the hungry. We share in the transformation of history to the, to the degree that we bring, yes, material food to those who are in need, but also the food of everlasting life, Jesus Christ. What did our Lord say in the gospel? Something greater than manna is here. I give life that is everlasting. So, in giving us the bread of life, Jesus then does not offer for us just temporary nourishment, huh? He gives us the eternal bread of his word. Something that will not pass away. It will nourish us and give us life for all eternity. And this is what he wants us to see. Jesus is this bread. And in offering to share it with us, he calls us to faith in him. I mean, if you were to go back into the Gospel of John, there is a most fascinating study to be had. Yes, we have already talked a great deal on this program, and in fact, on Friday evening, about the importance of how we see the progression of Christ's usage of eat. But there's something else in a progression, if you read it carefully. If you were to go back into John 6 and read verses 36, 37, 40, 44, and 45, 
this is what we read. Jesus invites us to come to him, believe in him, look upon him, be drawn to him, hear him, and learn of him. All of these verbs invite the active response of our faith because his word is nourishment for our faith. Again, listen to these verbs. Believe in him. Look upon him. Be drawn to him. Hear him. Learn of him. All of these phrases prop up what we heard today in the gospel. If we want our faith to be enlivened, then we receive our Lord and the sacrament of the Eucharist. You know, today's feast of the body and blood of Christ is also not a a static occasion, a time to gaze and wonder on the Eucharistic species for private devotion and communication with the Lord. I have talked a great deal about this before, and it is so important we understand this for what it is. It is just not about the worship, but what it points to. I was, uh, I uh, traveled this past week, and I was uh, going from Chicago to Fargo, and there was a Muslim who sat next to me, and we, he was from Syria, and we, we got into a fascinating conversation, and about 20 minutes in, he looks over at me, and he says, so I've got a question for you. I said, great. <laughs> he says, what is more important, the worship or the act? My response to him was, well, a question. Can you have one without the other? And he didn't respond for a minute and then two minutes. And I I thought I said the wrong thing, actually. And then he looked back at me and said, no, you cannot. You cannot have one without the other. And it, it led into this wonderful conversation, a surprising conversation. And indeed, uh, when we left, I called him my friend. And what was at the heart of it? What was at the absolute heart of it was this in God for other moment, which quite honestly surprised me for Muslim because doctrinally speaking, they don't necessarily think that way. But he listened. He listened and I emphasize this. In God for other. New identity, new goal. Gift task. To come to know him that we might make him known. This is what it's about. So again, we can't think of this as a static devotion. It is always alive and well. It is always ready to explode, if you will. This is, again, the enthusiasm and theos in the Greek, to bear God within. So when we receive the body and blood of Christ and then nourished by the divine life we receive, we become the body and blood of Christ to the world. When we come to receive communion and the Eucharistic minister holds the sacred food and drink before us, they say to us what? The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. They are communicating to us the reality of what we are about to receive. And at once, upon receiving that reality of Jesus Christ, true flesh, true blood, We are called to reflect the importance of how we are called to be food and drink for the world. To say we are to become the body and blood of Christ in the world is to begin to appreciate the essence of the mass. Where does the word mass come from? Missio, 
to be sent. I mean, again, this brings us back to who? St. Justin. He, he talked about this 2,000 years ago almost, right? 1,900 years ago. So important. So in other words, the real presence of Jesus Christ is not only to be found in the church, but in each baptized Christian nourished by the Eucharist and becoming the real presence of Christ to the world. This is what is so exciting about our faith. We have an obligation. We have an obligation. And take note of that word. We should be obliged to serve Jesus Christ. To celebrate the Eucharist is to commit oneself to a discipleship that remembers Jesus. Not only in the ritual breaking of the bread and sharing of the cup, but also in the imitatio, right? In the imitation of our Lord. In the ongoing breaking of one's own body and spilling of one's own blood and remembrance of Jesus. This is what we have in the history of the faith. Men and women who have literally spilled their blood for the sake of the body of Christ. What was the great line from, from uh, Benedict Sixteenth? The one and definitive lasting proof that God exists is man's willingness to give his very life for God. And of course, this is what we call martyrdom. If you've been listening to us on Tuesday evenings, you've become familiar with the earliest figures who have given their life to Jesus Christ. The likes of St. Polycarp of Smyrna, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and so many others who have given their life to Jesus Christ. So important to look at what we're talking about right now within the context of how we are called to share in the transformation of history. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we commemorate or do this as a memorial, the object of the memory is just not an image or a replica of the Last Supper, but the Last Supper itself. Now, the topic of memory is so important for us to be able to engage at a deeper level because memory is the most prolific catalyst of the human spirit. It is this vast and immeasurable sanctuary. And for St. Augustine, memory is the greatest faculty of the soul. Why? Because essentially, without our memory, we would effectively cease to be ourselves as we know it. I mean, I can no longer make a phone call to a loved one, no longer be able to make a quick run to the store, or no longer call a brother or sister on his or her birthday. In other words, I could no longer be the father, husband, brother, son, uncle, and so on that God has called me to be. Essentially, memory is the soul of our relationships and routes our whole being and interpersonal communion with the larger family of God. It is no wonder that St. Augustine teaches as he does on memory being the supreme faculty of our soul. Everything we touch, everything we smell, see, and act upon is filtered through this immense womb we call the memory. Now, as the great pontifical preacher uh, notes, Father Cantalamesa, he reminds us, you know, memory is not reduced just to individuals. 
but also to human groups, right? Family, tribes, clans, and nations. They all have a collective memory because in the end, human groups do not find their wealth and communal identity in stocks and bonds, but the way in which it remembers where it comes from. This is why we see at a national level, the celebration of such days as Independence Day and Memorial Day, remembering the birth of our nation, my friends, and those who have been lost on the war front is essential to the very fabric of any, any one nation, no matter how big, no matter how small. By celebrating particular events in the past, we are doing more than just matting a picture on the wall but making present the past to gain a deeper appreciation and understanding of who we are in the present and where we are going in the future. I mean, how many of us have been a part of a recent celebration where there was more than just remembering going on, but storytelling that was life-giving? Within our circles, we have accumulated and inherited all sorts of customs and lore that provoke the heart. We do these things because there is purpose and reason. Memory is about a whole routing of identity because memory is more than just a psychological exercise of data retrieval or game of trivial pursuit, but a faculty that tells us who we are. We have traditions because they link us to our ancestors, and in so doing, we carry on this kind of conversation with them. There is a certain dynamism that comes with being able to identify with where we come from. So as once again, to better understand who we are and where we are going. And so there's this rich human background tied to this faculty of memory that we ought to reflect upon, huh? And what does this have to do with our faith? Well, everything. What does our Lord say? Do this in remembrance of me. The Greek word for remembrance is anamnesis, which literally means to recollect or to memorialize, to reactualize, to make present the past, literally. In the sacrifice of the mass, Christ's saving death is represented, made present on the altar to intercede on behalf of men in the presence of the Father. A wonderful paragraph that comes to us from the Catechism Paragraph 1341, Christ has come as the new Passover, extending himself into our temporal reality in the Eucharist. Essentially, the God of history is made present time and time again on the altar. Now, what is critical to this reflection is how we are called to conform a whole life to the Eucharist that has shaped Catholic history as we know it, especially in the aforementioned area of martyrdom. You know, Benedict XVI, as then Cardinal Ratzinger, had this wonderful thing to say on this topic. Throughout history, the martyrs continue Christ's self-oblation. They are like the church's living altar, made not of stones but of men who become members of the body of Christ and thus express a new kind of cultus. And cultus literally means worship. And that cultus is sacrifice, is humanity becoming love with Christ. Listen to that. Sacrifice 
is humanity becoming love with Christ. Oh, how beautiful is that? <laughs> Remember the word sacrifice, sacrum fitse, to make holy. So Christ did not suffer on the cross so as to give us an antidote to human pain and agony, agony, but an example of how to suffer with God. What is that passage from Colossians 1.24? What does St. Paul say? I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. When we conform ourselves to Jesus Christ and offer our very lives to God, there is this kind of redemptive power because Christ did not abolish suffering, but gave suffering redemptive power. Wow. It is when members of the body of Christ live and pray in one accord, we proclaim your death, Lord Jesus, until you come again, that the memory of Christ lives on. How beautiful. And so we must receive the corpus of Christ, the body of Christ. And once having received the body and blood of Christ, we must begin to ask ourselves the question, what does this mean? How are we to bring our daily living into the Eucharistic celebration? What effect does the Eucharist have on our daily living? How does our devotion to the Eucharist and devotion to the family and work enable us to be true disciples in adoration before the Eucharistic presence of Jesus? Hmm. And I close with this thought. You've heard me say in the past, and you've probably heard it from others, you cannot give what you do not have. I want to take that one step further. You have nothing to give if you do not know who you are. Our Lord in the Eucharist, Christ himself, he is the full vision of man. When we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, what happens? We begin to discover who we are, what our purpose in life is all about. And then in turn, we can begin to give ourselves away as a spiritual offering to God, learning truly that most beautiful language of love that is par excellence sacrifice. Amen. Let us close in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good and gracious God, we just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this great feast day, Corpus Christi Sunday, a day where we have the opportunity to reflect into the richness of your mystery, that mystery which is indeed inexhaustible and at once beckons us to go deeper and deeper into our faith. Mindful always of the great words of St. Thomas Aquinas, the more we come to know, the more we realize how little we know. We ask that you might draw us deeper into this great mystery of the Eucharist. And we ask this in the words that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.